A new year means a new Savannah Chatham School Board president, and that president, Joe Buck, is our first difference maker of 2019. Today's podcast is presented by Do Savannah, the go-to source for local arts and entertainment news and happening. You know their names. You know the organizations and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know why they are Difference Makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and what they bring to our city, from leaders in the business community to those on the arts and culture scene, as well as those in philanthropy and government and in education. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Joe Buck has returned to lead the Savannah-Chatham County School Board. He assumed the role January the 2nd four years after leaving the same post due to a term limit. Four long years marked by bickering, power plays, and overreach that jeopardized the accreditation of our local schools. The board's internal strife and its effect on the schools and our children troubled Buck, a retired educator and university administrator, and prompted him to run for the post again last year. He topped a field of five candidates in the May election and won a head-to-head runoff in July. With his eight years' experience as board president and his reputation for steady leadership carrying the day with voters, he spent the time since observing the board and building relationships with the members, and we're pleased he agreed to join us for today's podcast. So, we are pleased to be joined by Joe Buck, who, as of two days ago, is the school board president again. And we're very excited to have him uh, leading our schools, or at least working in a leadership team leading our schools. Uh, Joe, before we start getting into the nuts and bolts of the school board, let's talk a little bit about you. Now, okay. I know most people in town know your background with Armstrong, and they associate you very much with Armstrong, but the story didn't start when you were 25 or 26 or whenever. It started when before that, you, and I know that you grew up in Alabama. Can you kind right. of talk about growing right. up? I, I grew up in Thomaston, Alabama, over in West Alabama, uh, about 40 miles from Selma. And uh, my family had been in that little town uh, forever. And uh, in Thomaston, and growing up in a town where you never locked doors and you left your keys in your car, uh, my grandfather, I'm Joe Buck the third, and I have a fourth and a fifth. But my granddad was the first, and he was called Mr. Big Joe Buck, even though he was about my size. My dad was Mr. Little Joe Buck, and I'm Mr. Little Joe Buck's boy. Okay. And so that's the kind of that's the kind of town I grew up in. Um, my folks were hardworking. My mom was a, a homemaker, uh, like most women in those times. I have one sister. And uh, my town is so small that uh, when I was growing up, my phone number was eight. Mm-hmm. That was before area codes that were for, before the prefix numbers or anything. So we were eight. And my granddaddy's drugstore was two seven. Mm-hmm. And my aunt's house was one three. So uh, we had uh, a very, very small town in which to grow up. My, my father died when he, I was 14. Mm-hmm. And my mom had to go to work, and fortunately, she had a college degree, was able to get teacher certification, and ended up starting a second career or a career as a teacher uh, after my dad had died. And um, my mom and I were very close because of the 
uh, sort of growing up together in a different part of our life. And the most interesting thing about my own mom, about my mom's influence, is the fact that when they integrated our schools after I was in public school, Mm -hmm. but I was gone before they really integrated our, our town in schools. And the day the African American kids walked in, all of the white teachers walked out, with the exception of my mom. Exception one. And my mother stayed, and I guess you can only imagine uh, what a small town in Alabama would be like in those days. And uh, my mom was an English teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, I've quoted her many times because she said, you know, I'm sure I have prejudices, but an African-American kid, a black kid, needs to know how to diagram a sentence and conjugate a verb just like anybody else. And so she taught for another 20 years or so uh, in the school there. And it impacted my life in terms of sort of what I believe uh, about people. And I believe firmly in the good of all people and that, that everybody, if given the opportunity and the chance and the support, can can do well in what it is they're doing. I graduated from Auburn University after uh, there were 22 people in my high school graduating class. Went to Auburn, graduated, and then, uh, of course, in those days, everybody had uh, draft. And so I joined the Navy thinking I'd rather do that than be in a they always said in a foxhole in the army and so i joined the navy went to ocs and then became a naval officer and uh got out of uh ocs just as vietnam was beginning to get more and more involved um was home based out of san francisco and then made five cruises to vietnam uh in the 60s and in mid and late 60s came to florida state uh to get a master's degree in student personnel. Um, interesting for folks who don't really know what student personnel or student affairs is. It's what I did at Armstrong all those years, but it's the the sort of total student development. It's almost everything that's not in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And um, residence life, Greek life, student activities, etc. And I had a very influential in my life sort of mentor at Auburn that did that and I went in his office one day and said how do you get to be what you are Mm -hmm. and that sort of started my path but anyway went to Florida State got a job here at Armstrong had never heard of interesting Savannah or Armstrong Mm -hmm. and in those days Savannah was not nearly as noted as it is today and when we came here first didn't know anything about it um, my wife and I had met in San Francisco on a blind date on New Year's Eve. Forty days later, we were engaged, and 60 days later, I went on a cruise to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we were new to our new life coming to Savannah. Uh, my wife is a nurse by profession, and within a few years, she was teaching at Armstrong, too. And so Together, we had 75 years of service uh, to Armstrong, she in health professions and me in student affairs. And when I retired, had been very active, of course, in Savannah, but just felt like uh, the school board, uh, the school district was on probation Mm -hmm. and just felt like this was something I needed to do next. And so kind of where we are now. Now, let me back you up a little bit. Now, I know you said your mother had a tremendous influence on you on how you relate to people. 
her being in education, I imagine probably had something eventually to do with you getting into that side of it. But you originally went to Auburn for something else. It's industrial design. I went, uh, my goodness, you really went back. I went into industrial design, and nobody told me before I went that you had to know a lot of math and a lot of physics in industrial design. Two of the things that I had not done particularly well in, uh, my first uh, quarter at Auburn, my mom used to say I majored in fraternity and and minored in yearbook because I really had a good time. <laughs> and uh, when I got those first grades, which were then in those days sent home, they came on Christmas Eve, and I had a C and a D and an F. Wow. And uh, they told me I needed to work harder and improve, and I wouldn't be allowed to come back. And uh, that was kind of a kind of a wake up call. But I had several majors before I, right. I really got in. I, I tried business for a while, and uh, that's one of the things that uh, in my years at Armstrong working in student affairs really influenced me about career planning for students you know because so often they just see something on television or whatever and decide they want to do that and don't have any idea what it takes to get there Mm -hmm. and uh i I always have tried to work with students on knowing all the options that you have but knowing that maybe not every option is for you Uh, i mean uh you need to carefully pick so yeah i i I had a real rocky first year at at, uh, auburn and once I found sort of my place, then I, yeah. I became an okay student. Yeah. I like to think a good student, but uh, anyway. Was it fortuitous that this mentor also had an education background and then you came from an education? Right. Well, he – he same kind of background in terms of small town and all of that. Um, and I realized the influence he had on so many people and i don't guess i'd ever given a lot of thought to influence until then and and i mean i grew up where i was surrounded by love i was surrounded by people who cared about me but i was also surrounded by people if i after i got my driver's life license if i was speeding they called my mom before i got home to tell her i was speeding um and so you were supported with good and bad and uh he was like that, and and so I saw how many Auburn students he had an impact on. Seemed like a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now you were at Armstrong during the the early days, at least of of becoming a four year school. Right. Like well, they had just become a four year school when we got here. In fact, um, first graduating class as a four year institution happened in in june of 68 and i came in september of 68 and so i over the years i saw every four-year class graduate from armstrong but the first one until i retired 30 something years later was that an interesting transition because i'm imagining your 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 student demographic and i don't mean in terms of race or anything else i just mean in terms of 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 objectives and how they look at school completely changes oh yeah yeah and having been at what would be seen as a larger land-grant institution in those days Mm -hmm. in florida state Mm -hmm. much the same um when i got to armstrong you know, there were those who called it Abercorn High. Uh, most everybody was local. I mean, uh, there were very, very few students that were not local. In fact, our fraternities, as we introduced national fraternities on the Armstrong campus, what high school you graduated from in Savannah determined what fraternity you were going to be in. Oh, no. 
Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it really was sort of an extension of high school uh, socially. Right. Uh, but Armstrong always had a good, strong reputation academically and had a good reputation for taking the good students that we had and making them better students. And so it was a great time to grow and learn. And fortunately, Dr. Henry Ashmore was the president at the time. He had been brought in from Florida. And Dr. Ashmore became a wonderful mentor for me. Uh, I learned so much from him in terms of administration because he always said, you know, Joe, if you make a mistake the first time, that's okay. I'll give you that. When you make the same mistake on the same matter the next time, I start to worry about whether I hired you right. So, uh, and, and, you know, those kinds of advice have been very valuable for me for 50 some odd years. So, mm-hmm. I think that speaks to leadership. And you spent a couple of years in the military and, and as an officer, and you're renowned for your leadership style. How did the years at Armstrong, your time in the military, how did, what were the influences in those areas that have carried you through your life? Well, first of all, I have a very strong spiritual fight base. And my spiritual base sort of defines, I hope, what I try to do as I work with people. I am not much about doing things for me, mm-hmm. leadership-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those things kind of came together. The interesting thing about the Navy for me was I was on a um, supply ship. And I was uh, the division officer for the deck division. And what that meant was the guys that loaded the stuff and unloaded the, the cargo and also then took care of all the, the rust on the ship and all of those kinds of things. Well, out of about 25 guys, when I went on the ship straight out of Auburn and three months of OCS, officer candidate school, um, out of those 25 guys, about nine or ten of them had been given the choice to go to jail or go to the military. Mm-hmm. And there was a good number from some very um, large urban areas like Chicago and New York City. You know, and I was from Thomaston, Alabama, and you know, I, everybody knew me, and I knew everybody. And that was a defining moment for my leadership because I learned how you had to make people want to follow you mm-hmm. and you did it by letting them know who you really were and mm-hmm. and I've always tried to do that um, and you know same is true at Armstrong then with college students uh, they wanted somebody to respect they wanted somebody to help them find themselves and so you do all those things in your with your own leadership style I believe that leadership, Dr. J.W. Fanning, who was Leadership Georgia's advisor for many years, always said leadership was taking people from where they were to where they needed to go and having them enjoy the trip. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what I try to do in all kinds of leadership. I try to help build the team, So, and that became a kind of cliched, thing in leadership but that's what it really is all about for you know the common cause what's good for all is is what we're working toward and so those of i don't have a really sophisticated leadership style i don't Mm -hmm. think Uh, mine is pretty down home Mm -hmm. and that's a good segue into uh, the school board obviously 
perhaps the biggest challenge, at least initially, is going to be leadership and reestablishing trust. There's been some divisiveness. Uh, we don't need to rehash it. I think most people that are listening know that the board has had a rough go of it the last couple of years. And uh, your biggest challenge initially is going to be to try to bring everybody together. What have you done along those lines coming in, and how do you see it going forward the next couple of months? Without rehashing, uh, we had a major report due, and uh, the board had a major report due in October. Uh, in October, because we'd had the elections, we had not taken office, but we'd had the elections. They basically said, continue to work, and we'll look at you again in the, in the late spring. So right now, we are working to finish up the report that will have them probably come in in April or May and look at us. Right, the advanced advanced ed report. Uh, They, um, in essence, have said they're waiting to see what we will do. Now, there were certain policies that the board had to write and rewrite and things like that. That's basically already done and out of the way. But the the working together to restore honesty and, and integrity return. In the last few weeks before we took office, uh, I met with each of the eight members, the, the new members and those veterans who were coming back, and I met with them individually. And basically my question to each of them started the same way. I said, what do you want to see in the first 150 days? Okay. And 150 days was an arbitrary number that was basically just picked because that's about the time the report will be due. Mm. But what did they want us to do, me to do, us together? And, uh, you know, without question, all eight said establish trust, establish unity, establish integrity. Mm-hmm. And that's very heartening, isn't it, that we've got nine that – you know, are going to be working together. Actually, what the superintendent and I are saying is we've got 10 because we've got our group of nine and the superintendent, and together we make the team of 10. Right. And so you're going to hear a good bit about the team of 10 in the next uh, few months. But I'm uh, I'm working hard to um, rebuild that trust among themselves, but with me as the newbie on the group. I have worked with almost all of them in the past in some capacity. Most of them on the board four years ago. You've taught a couple uh, of them too. I've right? taught some of them. Uh, and so it's not like I've not ever known them or, or worked with them. Uh, our job is, in my opinion, the school board has one of the hardest jobs in the community, but the school board should be the model board for how board works because we are in the business of education right and more than the aldermen the county commissioners the cedar board mm-hmm. chamber of commerce metropolitan whoever, metropolitan planning your church group yeah. we ought to be the model board and you know in my own mind i'm not sure what all those criteria are but that's where where i'm trying to help us move toward so yeah well, that's that's very encouraging to, to hear. So beyond board relationships, I know achievement in low-performing schools is a big key. We've seen great strides in terms of graduation rates and other things in the last decade. 
but mm-hmm. we still have some of the lagging behind. How do you how do you address that? Well, um, you know, the state is very clear about the fact that the board is the sort of what and the superintendent and her staff are the how. Right. And I think if you keep that in your mind, that means that what our philosophies are as board members are not the impl- implementation at all but it, uh, indeed are the sort of big visions and we've worked the board is now working with uh, Dr. Levette because I think we're fortunate to have Dr. Levette in this community mm-hmm. as a native I think she is a world-class experienced leader mm-hmm. uh, not very many times will you find a superintendent who has been a dean of a college of education teaching teachers at Ivy League school right and <laughs> and been on the school board yeah. i mean you know aside from just all the other experiences and uh so i look forward to working with her i've known her and her family for over 20 years and so she and i have a relationship that goes way way back but in saying that how do we address those big issues turnaround schools uh we're working with the state I've, I went to a meeting three weeks ago uh, with the state turnaround school director. Um, frankly, I will tell you, we will work with them, but what they basically said to us was, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to get better at meeting the needs of those teachers and students and parents in those schools that have not performed like we need for them to perform. Uh, saying that, I've said all through the campaign, it's a societal problem. It's a Savannah opportunity. It is not just the school that's not performing because many of these children, when they're not able to sleep at night, they're not getting proper nutrition. They're growing up in fear for their family and their lives. Uh, How do you expect them? to want to do math and English when they come to us and we only have them a limited number of hours not meaning for that to be an excuse the responsibility is ours as a board to work with Dr. LeVette and figure out ways to make those students do what we've got to have them do for our future in this community Difference Makers is brought to you today by Do Savannah, the city's best and most comprehensive arts and entertainment resource. Available in print and online, and featuring a regular podcast, Do Savannah and DoSavannah.com are where Savannians can learn about events. Check the website regularly to find information about other things to do in Savannah, such as the upcoming Savannah Book Festival and the Savannah Stopover Music Fair. And that's a real trick, right? Is is figuring out mm. what the role of the the home is, how. You, I mean, you can't hold parents accountable, but at the same time, you can do what you can to kind of impress that upon them. Yeah. And then also knowing what the school should do and what they should invest their time and resources right. in versus what they shouldn't. Well, you know, uh, Adam, one of the things to me that's been very encouraging in the last few months is the fact that with the newest census data, mm-hmm. our poverty rate is down to 21% from 26%. Mm-hmm. Our poverty rate had been at least 26%, I think, as long as I've been in Savannah. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the economy has helped right now, which once again shows that it's a big picture. It's not just the school right. district. But um, that means people are getting jobs because the economy is good. They can support and, and feed and clothe their families like they need to be. Kids are getting nutrition and support at home, perhaps. So that's going to ultimately save 
make our job a little easier. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, the single mom pregnancy rate in our community has dropped drastically in the last few years. Those things are going to help us in the school because kids are going to come to us more ready with better uh, learning attitudes mm-hmm. than we might have seen in the past. It's not all about poverty, however. It is not all about single-parent families. It is about the fact that this community needs to come together as a whole and realize that we all are in this together, that we all need well-rounded, well-educated kids who feel safe. Um, those are the things we're dealing with in the school district, but those are the things we deal with in our lives. That's right. And, and I mean, my aim is if I could have every kid be productive when he graduates from high school, whether it goes to college, goes to the military, goes to a technical or applied kind of education, all of those things are needed. You know, one of the things I've, uh, as an aside, that I've been sort of passionate about is the fact that I, I just think the trades, mm-hmm. the unions here, um, they they are desperate yes. for apprentice in their apprenticeship programs. We can't put kids under 18 in any of those programs. Well, why not? I mean, a 17-year-old, what's the difference in a 17-year-old or a 16-and-a-half-year-old and an 18-year-old on a site in learning a profession and an occupation that will provide them a good life? We ought to be able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the carpenter trades, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things uh, need employees, and, and we're – we want to, but we just got to work within the government to try to make some of those things happen. The the children themselves, in terms of coming into us with lacks, perhaps, um, you know, if your stomach is hungry, you're not going to come to school ready to learn. But is it really the school's place to to feed the kids? And so it's it's all about teaching responsibility. I think the mayors. Summer 500 program, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Kevin Jackson, the uh, chair of CETA. Uh, those men are, are dedicated to improving that part of it. I am 100% behind working with them and doing whatever we can do to provide more and more students so that they leave us and have good work experience, but also just have a good attitude about work. Uh, I get a little tired of us beating up on the millennials nowadays mm-hmm. and saying, oh, millennials just don't want to work. They just do things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just sitting around and labeling people, that's the other problem is the moment you start labeling people as poverty or hungry or millennials, it's the same kind of, of difficulty. And uh, we've got to do a better job. It, it cuts over into teacher retention. Um, you know, they don't sign on for 25 years mm-hmm. as millennials uh, unless we make it really exciting for them and give them good pay to do it. Right. So all of that is that piece of society, I think, that we have to get better at. And, you know, it sounds like pie in the sky to some people, but I don't really care. So Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, some folks in the in the community and, and government. I know that business partnerships are a big part of – there's been a lot of momentum in that in the school district in the in probably the last year year and a half and i know mm-hmm. that that you had strong support from the business community in right. your campaign 
where are the business partnerships going? Dr. Levette feels so strongly about business partnerships. Actually, Dr. Larkamy did too, but we've made a great progress. Um, you can't mention business partnerships without mentioning Gulfstream. Uh, Gulfstream's student leadership program uh, that started here 10 years ago has provided millions of dollars and millions of, of hours of support to our young people in this community. Uh, I don't know that most folks in this community really know about student leadership, that they take kids in the ninth grade and keep them for, 12, for four years till they graduate with aimed on a path to work or to, to further schooling. Um, it has been so successful, though, here, that they have also got one in Appleton, Wisconsin, where Gulfstream County as well, I believe, and Glen County has yeah. a very good one also. The Appleton one is a much smaller community, mm-hmm. and as is Glen, but both are doing very well, and it's all because of Gulfstream. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've I know this year we had a, a great partnership with uh, uh, Metropolitan Life. Mm-hmm. Um, in in some services and training that they gave to us, um, the film industry, uh, great partnerships there. Um, I will see nothing but good things coming out of it. And as I said a few moments ago about the the unions and the trades, if we can make that business partnership improve, then that's going to help us even more too. But there are, you know, we've already got hundreds of businesses that adopt schools and, and do what they can do. Not every business, maybe a, a business of five or 10 or 20, is going to be able to provide a lot of financial support. But the, the Junior Achievement new program at Savannah High School, um, all of those kinds of things give our students great opportunities that I think will service this community in the future. Two major pain points that you're going to have to, if not address at least, um, be conscious of and, and work through in the next four years are school safety and transportation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care which order you want to take those in, but uh, what are your thoughts there? Um, let me go transportation first. Uh, transportation, one of the reasons that we bus as many students as we do is when we started choice schools there were magnets before and then they, we changed the concept to one of choice when we changed to choice what you were doing was giving kids an opportunity to go to a school for a subject area in doing that we almost had to provide transportation because our district is three quarter about three quarters uh, minority students we would have very quickly have become even more segregated than we were. And so the choice then made us, required us to then do the transportation to get students from certain areas and neighborhoods to choices of schools that they picked. Across town. Across, across town. town. You know, uh, this this community, this county, is I think 40 some odd miles Mm -hmm. from Bloomingdale to Tybee. Mm -hmm. Um, As a school board president, when I would drive the district a good bit, I I always was just amazed at the fact that it's so big. Because in Georgia, we have lots of counties when you're traveling, you're in and out of it quickly. (laughs) But in saying that, we have included more and more choice schools 
Therefore, we've included more and more uh, busing. We have a good number of charters, uh, charter schools. In saying that, then that requires uh, we have committed to charter schools to help them with their transportation for their students. And so all of those things have gotten us to a point where we are just busing thousands of miles a day. Mm -hmm. And the scheduling becomes more difficult because uh, we've got a lack of qualified drivers. We train them. They then go get better jobs in transportation industry. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're running second and third routes in our traffic patterns. That's very difficult to stay on task Mm -hmm. and have the bell ring on time and have the kids there. So the busing, we're looking at a hub system for the future uh, that's just been introduced uh, last week, in fact, two weeks ago. Um, The hub system would mean that seniors uh, would be bused to hub. Uh, Parents would get the the kid to the hub, and then they'd uh, have the hub bus take them directly to the school. Nobody's going to like that. Uh, If you're accustomed to having your kid picked up in in front of your front door to now say, oh, but we're going to help you now. We're going to let you get your kid to a hub. And I understand that. We've just got to study this very carefully because in my estimation, every dollar we spend on transportation is a dollar that we could be spending in a classroom too. And so you just got to balance that the best way you can. Moving on to safety I never thought growing up in a country school in Alabama, I don't think they even locked the school on the weekends when I was a kid, but that you would go through what you go through with the TSA um, security in, in airports. But we can't not do it, and we can't not do enough. We must approach it in the most economical way we can to provide the most that we can. Um, Many of the new schools that we built under my leadership didn't have alcoves, vestibules for checking people out uh, before they got in. Uh, Those are things we're now having to do. But as a parent and as a grandparent myself, when I watched the kids from Parkland run out of that school with their hands above their head, it was sort of a defining moment for me as an adult Mm -hmm. in my whole life. I I would not ever want that to happen to anybody, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I would really not ever want it to happen in our school district here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you can do too much. Uh, We've got a great chief police. Our uh, police officers are post-certified. We uh, have added new police officers. We're trying to get to one in every school. Uh, which we've not had, but we're going to have to 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 continue to spend some dollars, and we're going to have to continue to maybe sometimes offend people who are trying to help in the schools by saying, "I'm sorry, you just got to go through these checkers and you know go through the metal detectors or whatever it may be in a particular area." But that's part of keeping them safe. It's a necessary step. Right now. I don't, by the way believe with in teachers being armed I, yeah. I get asked that a lot and i i just 
don't think that should be required of teachers. Yeah, it's be interesting because I know there's a couple of counties in Georgia now that are they're experimenting with it. I, I on the surface, I agree with you. I'll be curious to see get a little bit of more information, a little bit more of a case study in terms of that. So let's wrap up with uh, something that's probably a little bit. Your school board president, you have to deal with it, and that's to talk about some state issues. Of course, the state legislature convenes here in about a week and a half, and QBE, which is our school funding that comes from the state, was fully funded last year for the first time in forever. The new governor, Brian Kemp, or soon, yeah, soon to be new governor, Brian Kemp, has said he's committed to funding it again. At the same time, they're also putting a hundred million dollars toward basically vouchers for private schools um there's a lot of talk about are we going to redo qbe where we go with this are we going to give more money to the private there's just a it's just a lot on the table and uh from your perspective as as the leader of this school district what are you looking to see the legislature do and uh, how quickly do you expect them to do it i'll probably get in trouble get in trouble for saying what i'm about to say but um Anytime anybody from Atlanta or Washington comes to Savannah and says, we're here to help you, it scares me mm-hmm. um, because I've seen us get charged in, in unfunded mandates, et cetera. They did indeed fund QBE last year, but the the formula of QBE on which we get the funding is was written in 1984, and that's what they funded. So... Uh, it's a little misleading to say they fully funded and, and let's pat ourselves on the back. Inflation has a way of doing uh, things. Well, and, and requirements have changed. <laughs> Think about uh, security requirements since 1984 as part of a quality education. But I, I applaud them. I hope that they continue to um, to help us, whether the funding comes through QBE and the formula, whether it comes through some new and different way they looked at a whole new system two years ago three years ago and that didn't get anywhere and in terms of the vouchers um i know that there are people in the legislature and people in the state that really applaud that program Mm -hmm. my job is to make savannah chatham public schools good enough that parents all parents feel like public school is their choice Mm -hmm. and i said that 12 years ago when i went into office if i can make our district good enough in all the things parents are looking for that they choose to come to us so they don't have to pay that private school tuition then we have done our job Mm -hmm. i I have no problems with private schools they're great ones in savannah they're they're um dedicated teachers there but my feeling as a parent and a grandparent and a citizen if if i could do all that k-12 without it coming out of my pocket except through property taxes Mm -hmm. then that's what i would like to have happen and so uh we gained about a thousand students a year my eight years in office uh and that's dropped off just a little bit, but I hope we can continue to start moving forward again to make the the district's programs uh, of attractive enough that people want to be a part of us. An interesting 
part of that discussion in terms of private school vouchers is the way the private school vouchers work is if you donate so much money to uh, the private school fund, then you get to basically take that off of your state taxes. Now there's talk of, well, let's level the playing field and let people do the same thing for their public Probably schools. Get, right. And I, I imagine there's probably some legality issues all over the place with those, but is that a program you think that will well, possibly get some legs? I was in a meeting recently with uh, two of the state members of our delegation, our uh, legislative delegation, and both were in favor of that, mm-hmm. uh, of letting us have the equal right that the private donation does now uh, because they are 501 nonprofits. We're a nonprofit also, mm-hmm. and, and so perhaps the movement couldn't be positive. Well, Joe, thanks for coming in. It's it's always it's always good to talk to you, but especially now as you as you take the chair, and uh, maybe uh, a year down the road or so, we can revisit and sure we'll go through this checklist again. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Adam. I uh, I'm, I'm so encouraged after meeting with the individual members of the board, and I I, um, I think our team of ten, which includes the superintendent, is going to do great things. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to the Difference Makers podcast, a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. We post a new episode every other Friday, and it's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also publish a daily news and opinion podcast called The Afternoon Commute. Search for The Commute with at Savannah Opinion and subscribe to our podcast today.